Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belun Klemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to nine to fivers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey, Brigade, and welcome to another episode of She Brigade. If you're new here, welcome, and I hope you come back for more episodes. If you're a returning Brigader, welcome back. Just a reminder, if you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media and tag us at SheBrigade on all social media platforms. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice and subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. Okay, so today's guest is Faith Makubele. Faith is a medical student at Medunsa, currently doing her practicals on the front line. And she's also an activist who fights for various causes from women to children empowerment. On this episode, we discuss her journey to becoming a doctor and what it's been like on the front lines of COVID-19, finding living in your purpose, and so, so, so much more. Let's dive in. Come to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to have this amazing conversation with you. I am also so excited to get in. So... On this podcast, we like to start all the way from the beginning. So take us all the way back to what it was like for younger you growing up, your primary school journey, your high school journey, all of it. All right. So it's 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 always great to go back to your genesis because I think it, it shows you how far you've come. You appreciate also where you're going. So when I look back, I was born in Malamlele. It's a township in Limpopo and we moved to Makado, which is now called Makado Luitrihat in Limpopo as well. So primary for me was an interesting journey. I was that kid that was overly ambitious. I wanted to do everything. And when I look back at it today, I think it's, it also was at a point of I always wanted to prove myself. It comes from a childhood trauma of always wanting to be the best and people always expecting the best in me. But that was great for me because it worked out in its in its, its in its way for me. So I was the girl that did your drama, your debate, your speeches. Like I would go extra in primary. I remember when I did my first poem in English for Miss Kazette, um, African Sky Blue. And I did it with so much passion and she called me and then she took me to every single teacher there. And then we went to the principal to present it. And, you know, that was, that was really something that started my career. When I then went to um, my career in speaking, when I then went to um, high school, I had a bit of an identity crisis, you know. I mean, going from a normal school to an African school was very, very hectic because, um, you know, an African school in a very small town, you do expect your racism, etc. But it's so hard to call it out because you still want to be part of the team. So I found myself, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was an amazing time like I said, I did debating. I did, I even did hockey and netball. That's how bad I wanted to be great because my sisters were great. My sisters did well. My mom was amazing. She was, you know, working at the hospital. She had her own school. My dad was busy with his businesses. My sisters were busy. So I also wanted to be part of that hectic busyness as well. But I definitely thoroughly enjoyed high school. I think I put so much effort and it does show for where I am today in life. And um, when I look back five years ago when I was in high school, 
school, I did have a great, great journey and I loved everything about it. There were tough days though, because when I then became in leadership, you know, when you're in leadership, they would take five out of the 20 black, uh, out of the 20 white people. So you can't necessarily call out racism. So it, it wasn't mm. the easiest journey wanting to be part of the team because you, you want to be part of the team, but you also don't want to look like a sellout to your black friends. So there was that always you know, judgment coming in my heart, making me feel like I'm betraying black people, but I always stood up for what I believe. And I believe, I remember one of the most revolutionary things that we once did is something at the Freiburg FM. There was a tree where usually black people couldn't sit there. And we and my black friends and Alice's, we just went there and sat there and we started a whole commotion and a whole movement. And yeah, so that was my high school and my primary Yo. journey. That is so wild that you were in high school not so long ago. And you were still going through this. Absolutely. Like, I think in small towns, um, like I said, so I went to a, a normal public English school when I was in primary. So it was more black than white. But when I went uh, to high school, it was a lot of whites and a lot of Afrikaans people. So you, you don't necessarily see the racism because you know you hadn't you didn't learn about it in primary. You didn't see it. But the yes. the more I went high in grades, the more I realized it. You know, when you get pushed and shoved on the stairs, there's so many things that you realize are not okay. Um, and it takes time because at that time I didn't know the power of my voice I didn't know how to speak up you know I didn't know how to address certain issues because I felt oh my god if I address this they would remove me as a leader and at that point being a leader was something I wanted so bad so it was a, a lot of unlearning had to happen after high school to realize and name something for what it was and say that was actually wrong that was racism, that was bad, you know. Mm. But I'm not saying the entire school experience is terrible. I'm just saying there were instances where I do believe I could have stood up a bit more. So that is such an interesting point that you make because what you just described definitely happens to a lot of grown-ups, adults. Like today in my adulthood, I know I go through it. Um, from what, what, what do you think has changed from then and now? Like when you find yourself in a situation where you kind of need to choose between standing up for the right thing versus potentially being in a leadership role that can lead you to be able to stand up for even greater things. Like how do you navigate those situations now? No, that's absolutely a great question. And I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves that how do we navigate in these situations? Because mm. if, you know, one of the biggest quotes my mentor once told me is that if you don't stand up for anything, you fall for anything. If you don't stand up for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's really what happens when we don't take a stance. And I think the reason why I struggled so much is because I didn't know who I was. Like I told you, I had a, in high school, I had a lot of identity crisis. And so I felt the need to prove myself everywhere, to prove myself to white people so I belong, to black people so I'm still part of the team. I can still be in leadership. I can still be in the top 10. I can still be a drama girl, debate girl, hockey girl. I'm approachable. I'm nice. I'm lovable. Yes, accept me. So I think when you want to be accepted, you choose what the majority looks like they're choosing. And mm. once I left high school, that's when I realized my power. One thing I appreciate about my family is that we are so outspoken. Everyone in my family is outspoken. And my mom always taught me, and this is not something that's cliche. She really taught me always to believe in what I stand for. When I left high school, I started realizing that the things I was doing, things like debating, traveling already when I was in high school, were shaping me for the future to come. 
And in the future, if I wasn't going to stand for something, I was going to fall for anything. This is important for me because I needed to realize that what is the greater good? What is the source of this? And I think for many people that battle, because when you look at movements today, people shy away from movements. People feel because they are not directly affected. I mean, I was Alice in high school. I didn't really suffer as much as the normal student, black student who wasn't suffering. But at some point I realized that, you know what, it's not even about me. This is about if I have a place of power or a platform of power, it's about me using what I have to benefit the person who never even had that platform. So when you start living your life as a sacrificial, not all the time, I'm not saying be a sacrificial lamb, but I'm saying when you start living your life for servanthood, to realize your purpose and to realize the greater good and why you're doing something. I promise you, it won't even feel like you're stretching. It won't even feel like you have to make a speech for gender-based violence or a speech for Black Lives Matter. It'll just yeah. be a part of you because you realize this is wrong and something has to be said. The more we speak up, the more things change from the beginning of time, the apartheid era, civil rights movement, everything, someone spoke, someone said something. And so if we can just believe in that voice that my voice matters. It could be shaky. It could be, it could feel like it's squeaky. No one wants to listen. Funny enough, I, I know I'm an excellent speaker, but when I was in high school, I didn't like speaking because I felt like I bore people. I'm saying the same thing. Oh my God, faith talks a lot. But now <laughs> in, in retrospect, I realize that faith doesn't talk a lot. She has something important to say. And someone out there wants to listen. It could be one person. And that one person, as long as the impact, and that's the thing. Sorry, I'm diverting, but no, when, when you choose, sorry, when you choose to take a stance, you need to realize that it's not necessarily for the greatest mass. It's not for, for 100,000 people who are going to follow you and love you. Oh my God, faith. It could be for that one person in Guamasha who's never heard anyone speak up, who saw a tall girl, black girl, dark girl who went for her dreams and is now inspired to do the same. So never ever judge your influence or your your impact with a number because sometimes god sends you for just that one person and so let that burden to serve just that one person be enough wow you are like preaching and we're only eight minutes in <laughs> wow <laughs> wow yeah yeah no thank you so much for sharing that um okay so this is so to take it back a little bit when I know, I know, I know. You did mention that you had a bit of that identity crisis when you were in high school, but when you look to your future, what did you did you what did you want to become when you grew up? So when I looked into my future, and and some, I love this question because I shared this on my Twitter last week. That when I got into medicine, it wasn't because I had a passion for it. Not necessarily a passion to save people. I always knew that I wanted to help people, but not necessarily in medicine. When I chose medicine, it was just, I have great marks, you know, I can do this. I want to help people. This is also a great option. There's law as an option. There's engineering. There's accounting. This is an option for me. So for me, when I looked into my future, because I did so many things, because I was a jack of all trades in high school, or I tried to be one, I knew that my future I didn't, I didn't have a glimpse of necessarily where I would be, but I knew it was a successful girl. I knew it was a girl who had impact. I knew it was a girl who was using her voice. I knew it was a girl who commanded a room, who had power and who was changing the world. I just didn't know how. And so because I always saw that girl, 
no matter what people said, I remember I made a speech in English and it was about smoking. And I came in there, I even had chalk um, crushed and I used it as an illustration <laughs> to show how cocaine is terrible. And I remember no one clapped for me. It was my four friends. It was um, my two best friends and my other friends that clapped for me at the back. And that didn't even discourage me because I knew in that moment that this is a start of something new. And when I look back in retrospect at the girl that has spoken at the World Bank, the United Nations, the African Union, so many other places, I see that it's not a new thing. It's a dream that was always there. I just didn't know. I just didn't have clarity of where to go. So for me now, when I am in the future now, faith now, I realize that it's okay to not know where the journey goes. It's okay to feel uncertain. Of course, you'll have a picture of I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be great. But it's okay to not know that this is what it will look like A, B, C, D. Because sometimes God will push you into your purpose in your destruction. When I got into medicine my first year, I was I was very, very confused. I wasn't sure if this is what I wanted. I wasn't sure if this is if I could do it. The inferiority complex came in because I was doing great in high school. I was passing jiggy jiggy kitty fifty. It's you know, it's yeah. your mediocre. And it made me question who I was. And because I went to I go to university that you don't necessarily find a lot of students that do so much. I, I always got the term, oh, you're doing too much. Why are you traveling? Because I, I remember I would, the first time I went to the UN in USA was when I was writing exams, my first year exams. And this girl came to me and said, you're going to fail. And I, in my mind, I'm like, why would you want to do medicine if you want to be busy with changing the world and doing all these things? But I realized that there's so much power in doing what God has called you to do, even though it doesn't look like what everyone else looks like. Mm. We don't all have to be the same CA. We don't all have to be the same doctor. We could all be different as long as we are serving in our purpose. So what I'm trying to say is faith in the past always knew that things will align. She was uncertain sometimes. She was uncertain of the situation. I mean, I wasn't always smart. In grade 10, I actually got condoned for maths. Then when I went to grade 11, I told myself that I'm going to get a tutor. I had two tutors. I went to Saturday school. I traveled to a village because I felt like my high school was not doing much. I traveled to a village to get Saturday classes. I did question papers from 1997 because I knew how bad I wanted it. And I knew that I don't have to always be the smartest, but my situation can change. So young faith always believed. And I think I'm here mm. today because I always believed and I planted a seed. And sometimes your seed is not the biggest. Your seed is not the, the most beautiful or the glamorous. It's not even the seed that shiniest. everyone looks at. It's not the yeah. shiniest. But as long as you believe in that seed, it will multiply one day. And today, I honestly, I, I don't even think I'm where I'm supposed to be yet. But I'm extremely grateful to see where I am today from the seed that was planted long time ago. Wow. And it definitely does align. Like the work you're doing is so impactful. Um, and I don't even know if you know how impactful the work you're doing really is. Like I've received multiple DMs about you <laughs> as like on She Brigade. And that just goes to show the impact of the work that you're doing. Um, so, so, so walk us through, um, yeah, you started touching on it, but walk us through your university journey, what that was like, um, going through varsity in medicine, no less. Yes. Thank you so much for the compliment. I really appreciate it. I think every single person, when you get a compliment, you don't know how to react and you just yeah. want to <laughs> bounce a compliment back and say, girl, you're also doing amazing, <laughs> but thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. So for me, my journey um, with university was uncertain, as I told you. When I was in matric, mm. I knew that I could 
I, I can get good marks. I didn't really have like a certain passion to know what I want to do. So I knew that I could do engineering, accounting, or medicine. Those are the top things for me in my mind. I wanted to be a lawyer because I did debate. So I thought being a lawyer would be so great. But I can't really tell you why I didn't choose that career. I didn't even apply for it. So for me, when I was in matric, I think um, one of the biggest mistakes that I made, and I think matrics make them today as well, is I didn't know how to apply. So when I would apply to universities, I would be so random. I would put medicine as a first option, engineering as a second option, third option accounting. And in universities like VITS and, you know, UP and UG and, and, and UCT, they will reject you automatically because you cannot put three majors um, under one another. You have to try and put medicine and something else in the faculty of health and something else in the faculty of health, 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 health. So if it's medicine, you have to say physiotherapy or um, OT, so that in case you don't get into medicine, you can still be in the health faculty, so it's easier to transition. So when I applied, I applied randomly, you know, I just, and so my heart's desire was to go to UCT. And the reason for that is when you go to white dominated areas, sometimes we start to conform. We think that because we're in a white-based area, it's the best. Um, let me give you an example. We think because it's Woolworths, the cold drink there tastes better than ShopRite. And I'm not saying that ShopRite is, is terrible or whatever. All I'm yes, saying is that yes. sometimes it's the same capacity, the same content, the same quality of water. Both of them are from Sparkling. That's the brand. But we think because it's from Woolworths, that's what gives us the title. And so when I was in my high school, I told myself, I'm going to go to UCT. I deserve UCT. I deserve a good life, blah, blah, blah. And so UCT provisionally accepted me. So I just knew that I am leaving the trenches of Limpopo and I'm going to start my new life and I'm just going to be that girl. So when 2016 came and the results came out, the first university to accept me was University of Johannesburg. Ah, no, man. It, sorry, excuse me. It was Wits University. And they accepted me for chemical engineering. But I, I, I didn't want to do chemical engineering because I took... I, I, I struggled with maths. Though I passed it well, I struggled with it, so I thought I wouldn't be able to manage. Then UCT rejected me. That rejection felt like the end of time, the end of life. It, it, it got me in a space where I was just like, why, God? I worked so hard. How could UCT not take me? What's wrong with me? You know, um, what didn't I do right? I just felt so inadequate. And so that 2016 was so hectic because I remember I first went to, I accepted the offer at VITS because they accept you very fast. And then I went to do chemical engineering for a few days and I realized this is not what I want. I don't want to do this. And um, then went to, I changed my mind, then went to UP in the same in the same year, in a few days later in January. Yeah. When I got to UP, I realized that I'm still not happy here because I'm still not doing medicine. And I remember my mom who were driving from Pretoria and she was like, you know what, Faith, Medunsa accepted you for medicine. And if I'm going to go home, because my mom came all the way from Limpopo to help me register, she's like, I'm going home because I feel like we've been doing this up and down. We are paying money that's unnecessary. So I'm just going to go home. Once you're ready to make a decision, you let me know. And I sat there and I thought, why would you reject an amazing offer to be a doctor? Something you know you want just because it's not in the place that you want. That's just a word in itself. A lot of us reject opportunities because they don't look like what we thought could look like. But God is so prophetic and so powerful because wherever you are, nothing can stop the purpose of God in your life. And so I just have to also thank God for my sisters, praise and worship, because praise is one of the people that always, I didn't even want to apply to Medunsai because I thought, no, 
I'm not going there, you know? Not there, yeah. Not there, child. But mm-hmm. she literally continuously went and applied and checked. When she told me, when they told me that I got accepted for medicine, I was just like, oh, oh, okay. You know, but I thank God I went there. And my first experience was very terrible because I was very negative. Sometimes we get our blessings, but because we thought they're supposed to look like something else, we're not even present in the blessing anymore. So I was sulky. I didn't make friends. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And funny thing, I was reapplying for UCT yet again because in my mind, I told myself, it's fine. If UCT can accept me next year, I'll go and redo first year. I'm okay with that as long as I'm in UCT. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with UCT. All I'm just trying to say is that the desperation made me forget that I actually got what I wanted. It just doesn't look like what I think or what I thought it's supposed to look like. So first year was very humbling. Second year was when I realized at the end of the year that, um, and, and first year was hectic for me because Christian girl coming into a new world, Pretoria. Pretoria is nothing like Limpopo. I've never been to a cinema, never been to a club, never been to whatever, you know. So experiencing these things, being robbed in Pretoria, being assaulted in Pretoria, so many things happened in that year. It was so difficult. Being diagnosed with depression in my first year, hectic, hectic scenes. But things started unfolding in second year and I I became more present. I started enjoying my course. I remember studying anatomy with all my heart. Oh, this is my first year, ECP2. So I was just so passionate. I started talking to people. I started making friends. And I, I, I got out of my shell. I started speaking again. I started doing competitions. I remember I won the talent show three times. And the three times that I won it, I did a spoken word on women's rights, you know, what women deserve, gender-based violence. So it's not something that's starting now. People look at it now and like, oh, my God, Faith. But it's something that has been happening. <laughs> you know, so I, I just started doing more things and being present. And by the time I got to my anatomy years and my anatomical pathology years, you know, things started aligning. I I, I got the A.B. Bailey scholarship. I got the opportunity to travel to, um, Cape, we went to Cape Town. Then we went to the African Union. We met amazing people. We then went to um, London. We went to Scotland. We went to the British Parliament. We went to the House of Lords. We met so many amazing people. I presented in front of the British um, Prime Minister, you know, um, Dawn Butler. Wow. It was so amazing. And opportunities just started coming in. I went to the United Nations Youth Summit. I Things just started aligning. I remember in 2019 when I got an email to participate in the... Um, the annual democracy report and represents South Africa. I then also went to the World Bank, you know, things just started aligning in a place I never thought they could be. So the opportunities I thought could only exist in your fits or your your glorified universities found me where I was. I think I just want to remind you of what I said, that no matter where you are, your purpose will always find you. But also I started seeing the beauty of where I was. Sometimes when we are bitter, and when we don't want to be happy about places and what God is doing already, right? We don't see what is happening around us. When I started living in Medunsa, I started seeing the capabilities of it. I started, you know, enjoying things. I, I got so much favor in that university. I have never struggled with fees. I've never struggled with debt. I've never struggled with failing, etc. things like that, which are things you find common in your vets, mm. in your UCT, etc. And I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. I'm just, I'm trying to speak to that child who feels like because they were rejected from UCT, their life ended. And I just want to say yeah. your life starts. And just to close up this question, once I got into my clinical years that is when I realized that this is the passion and the calling for me 
you might remember I told you in the beginning that I wasn't sure if I knew I wanted to help people, but not how. Mm. But the moment I got into my clinical years, seeing patients, touching patients, examining patients, you know, that's when I realized that, yep, God didn't make a mistake with me. Wow. That is so powerful. Um, and so I have two questions that I want to ask you. Firstly, um, I want you to take us through, for those who don't know, like myself, <laughs> I want you to take us through what, what it means to study towards being a doctor, especially in South Africa. That's number one. So take us through what you actually have to go through. And then number two, which is a bit deeper, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, were you in the hospitals when COVID started? And what has that experience been like for you? Okay. I think it's a very important question. Um, so the thing with medicine is that it's one of the most difficult courses to get into and not necessarily because doctors think they're better than everyone know, but because of the amount of hospitals that are available or universities that are available, if I'm not mistaken, there's only about eight universities. And in these eight universities, they're only going to accept 200 students. And in universities that have extended programs like your VITS, your UCT and Medunsa and UP, the 50 students are reserved for extended program who came earlier and are doing a year earlier. So they are, so they're just going to take 200 students. So you can only, you can imagine that it's two times eight, which is really not a lot of students that are going it's to get accepted. Yeah. To mm. do medicine. So the first thing with doing medicine is that it's very, very competitive and it's dependent on the type of university you apply to. If you apply to universities like UCT, they want a lot. It's not just your academic report. I remember last year, some girl texted me and she said that, um, she got rejected and she had nine distinctions and she asked me why. And she told, and I asked her, did you do your report form, your public report form, your public and community service, your motivation letter? And those are things universities like that look at your vets. They look at those things. It's a grading out of 600. So you'll find your marks only have 200 out of that 600. Then there's community service. There's a motivational letter. There's a testimonials. And you'll find most students who go to disadvantage schools, high schools, don't have things like drama, netball, where they can get testimonials of extra mural activities, which is something that a lot of these big universities look at. So that's the first thing. Know the university you are applying to. NBTs as well. I didn't do great in my NBTs. I did terrible. I was actually shocked. I actually don't even understand what NBTs tests, even today. I, I really don't understand that thing. That thing is just <laughs> really hard and we're just being demoralized because it doesn't make sense. But <laughs> some universities like VITS, UCT, UP, they do check your NBTs. And so if your yeah. NBTs are bad, you definitely will have a bad chance getting in. Then thirdly is your grade 11 marks. So like I told you, when I was in grade 10, I told myself that I want to change, I want to do well, uh, etc. So when I started doing well, that made me have okay marks. So some students think that because the prospectus says that a 65 in math is all you need, it's important to remember that that is the minimum. That's the minimum the entire metric of South Africa in that year have to work towards. So just imagine how many people are going to get 65 and above. Yeah. So when you look at the prospectus, don't just say, oh, they just need 65. They don't need life science. You know, look at the, the minimum is 65, but what more can I do? Because it's not easy to get in. Fourth, apply everywhere. If it wasn't for my sister applying for me in Medunsa, I would not have a university where I would do medicine today. So a lot of students think because they're doing great, I can just apply to UCT and UP. 
and I'll be great. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying UT and UP, and it sounds like I'm a hater. I'm definitely not. I would have loved <laughs> to be there. I went, I went to UP. <laughs> I would have loved to be there. Y'all rejected yeah. me. It's not that. It's just that if you actually ask a lot of metrics, that's all the universities that they know. WITS, UCT, UJ, that's it. Nothing more. UP, that's nothing more. They don't know of your KZN, Water Sisulu, or other. And even if they do, they would rather opt for these big title universities. And there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm warning is that you never know what happens in your year. You could get seven distinctions and UCT could still reject you. Not because you're not good enough, but because other people have higher marks than you. So to be on the safe side, apply to more than one university. Save up because it is quite expensive to apply. When you do apply... What I, what I did as well is that I also went to career advices. I would take those tests where I'd find out what are the skills I'm used to. Can you sit in an office? Can you work with patients? Can you, can you touch blood? Because in medicine, second year, you're working with dead bodies the entire year. You're cutting dead bodies the entire year. So if you can't handle a dead body, just imagine how you're not going to enjoy the entire time and you're just going to forfeit your your what you thought is your future, you know. So when it comes to medicine, please do your research. Reach out to other medical students because not every single person who wants to get into medicine is a medical student. There are other people who did other degrees as well. So it's always possible to, to get into medicine from BSc or from other degrees as well. So always ask and yeah, always ask. And please just remind me of your second question. <laughs> My second question was your experience as someone who is doing their practicals. Am, am I right in calling them practicals? Or you can yes. correct me there. My but as someone who's doing their practicals during COVID, so during a pandemic, that time was so uncertain. I am not even going to joke with you. Um, I was at first I went home because we all had to go. And when I was home, you know, home, I'm, I'm privileged to at least I've, I had a laptop. I had a phone with data. There was Wi-Fi at home, but the network at home was terrible. So I, I, I got messages late. And then when it was time to come back, everything was now shortened. Everything was now made into a smaller time. I remember doing obstetrics and, and gynecology. And, you know, obstetrics, anyone can tell you, it's a practical, practical subject. You need to go to the ward and touch the pregnant woman. You need to touch the stomach. You need to feel the fetus. You need to measure yourself. It's not theory-based. And so we only had two weeks as opposed to five weeks of doing that. Yo. It was so difficult. I and And already... I was negative in the pandemic at some point. So imagine coming in there, you're negative, you have two weeks. And it really showed in my marks as well that I didn't show up. So it was it was a very difficult time. I thank God that I've never had um, COVID, you know, ever since the pandemic started. But my mm. friends, my family, my loved ones have. And it was a very difficult time. I remember the people around me were so sick. And I was just so scared in that time and having to study and not knowing what will happen, not knowing, are you going to pass? Are you going to fail? And it was a year I decided that I want to move out of res. You know, I, I felt like I was just tired of staying at res. I don't know why. Um, and so you can imagine now the transition of moving out of res and staying on your own. It's a completely different life in a pandemic itself, being alone, mm. that stress, the the depression. But at the same time, that was the time where my career, maybe in social media, started. I remember last year, one of the first videos I made was on purpose. And that was the first time I spoke after so many years, so many years of depression, so many years of, of feeling silenced. And 
that was really a turning point for me. And even though the pandemic as a medical student was uncertain for me, it was also a time where every other thing aligned and things were, as they say, line. things were really just, it started working out. It started making mm. sense. And, you know, when I look back now, I mean, now we are post 2020 pandemic and, you know, it's livable. You can live with Corona. You can still see your patients. It's still a real thing. You still see real patients with COVID, but when you protect yourself, when you're present, when you want to be there and you have a, a beautiful, a better perspective, because again, Life is what you say it is. If you say you're going to have a bad day, the universe will align to make sure you will have a bad day. So perspective. Yes, we're in a pandemic. Yes, things are tough. Yes, people have lost their lives. But what can I do to make the situation better for me? So that when my cup is full, when I have filled in my cup, other people can receive the best version of faith. And that's what I think. The transition for me from last year to this year in my clinical years now is that my, the patients I see are receiving a better version of faith and the faith that just walked around in ward rounds last year and was just listening to the consultants, didn't want to participate. Now she's present and she actually wants to help people. Mm. Wow. That is so, it's so, it's so true. And it can be very difficult now during something like a pandemic, but um, where you can, you need to hang on to those um, rays of hope that you can find um, those the, the 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 ideas of possibility that you can find, you know, it's so important. So I'm glad you touched on that. Um, <laughs> I have a a bit of a, a silly question to ask you, but you know, <laughs> I watch Grey's Anatomy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I don't know how your experience has been because obviously we've been in a pandemic. But is the is is learning how to be a doctor in a hospital <laughs> like that? <laughs> No, great anatomy <laughs> is so far-fetched. It is so extreme. But what I can tell you is that there are a lot of emergencies every single day. I think one thing also for me, it's, it's something I've struggled with because there's a depressing side of medicine. Because, yes, I was going to get to that part, actually. Uh, okay, so I'm just, let me just go ahead with it now. And because mm. I want to try and explain um, what you see on TV. And what you see online, what you see on TV is this amazing doctor. She studied, she knows all her work. Let me tell you the realities of a student. So in theory is ah, first year, second year, third year, you're cool. I mean, it's really just theory you can manage. But now comes the, re you have a real patient. This person is having the real disease, not the textbook you saw where they painted uh, a body that's white. You know, you're having a real black body. She's obese. You're trying to locate her liver. It's a life and death situation. She has ascites. It's it's scary, and the consultants. And I'm not going to lie. It's it's something that's toxic in medicine. Is that doctors, registrars, and consultants? Most of the majority are very rude to students because there's this thing where we pass on trauma. So because they were abused as interns, they want to do the same. So they will overwork the interns now. They will overwork the students as well. So you'll find during a ward round, you'll be asked a question and you can't answer. And, you know, someone says, it, someone, one of the consultants says you're a failure or something like that. Obviously, he doesn't mean it. You know, mm -hmm. I know that now. I know that you don't have to take things personally. This is how you grow. But, you know, it can make you question your worth. It can make you question, oh, my goodness, do, should I be here? Do I know what I'm doing? Am I sure? So that's really something that I really want to point out, that it's not always glamorous as Grey's Anatomy makes it look like. You won't always know what's the diagnosis. You won't always know a patient comes in coughing. 
You won't even know what's happening. Can't you the cough is just a side effect of something else that's the problem. So Grey's Anatomy, in as fun as it is, and funny enough, I started liking medicine because when I was in high school, I started watching Grey's Anatomy and I thought I'd be like Meredith Grey. Yes. I'd be pretty, <laughs> I'd be slaying, you know. But once I got into, and I don't even think I've really experienced the hecticness of, you know, the discipline of, of medicine in its in its essence as a as a qualified intern or a registrar or MO. But what I can tell you now is that it is really not e- as easy as it looks. But if you have dedicated your life to be a servant, I promise you, servants, think about a servant at, at home. No matter how many times, you know, there are those garden boys, you know, that work with a passion. No matter how many times you tell them to fix this, fix that, they do it with all their heart. So if you're present to do whatever in life with all your heart, it works out. And this just, it doesn't only apply for medicine. At the end of the day, if you use that principle that life will always be hard, you know, that's it. Seasons are not the same. Seasons come and go. We'll have winter, we'll have autumn. Maybe you like summer and now you're in winter. You need to change your perspective and say, I will present myself as the best part of me. Your best is not your most perfect self. I made a post one day and I was like, I'm tired of being perfect. All I'm going to do is being present because mm. A lot of people think we need to be perfect, perfect creators. This has to be a perfect podcast. I have to say the perfect words. But you don't know how much your presence does more than your perfection. Because in trying to be perfect, you lose out on the moment. But in trying to be present, you are aware of your surroundings. You're aware of yourself. And you're aware of what do you need to do to make the situation better. Mm, mm, 100%. But you, you're, also, you're also an activist. Can you... Just touch on your activism, um, the work you do. Uh, yeah, the work you do around that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I am an activist on two levels. Firstly, I am an activist for children's rights and also for women's rights. For children's rights, particularly because when I was growing up, though I was very assertive and I was confident, I realized that the only reason that I would be the, I would be named the confident person and someone else would be named shy is because my voice was louder than them. And unfortunately for many people today, they're still carrying identities like, and they say it publicly, oh, I'm shy. They're not really shy. It's just that they were put in spaces where someone else spoke louder than them. So that automatically made them shy. And that for me was a problem because when you look at a lot of problems people have today, depression is not diagnosed today. Someone who was suicidal today, it didn't start today. A lot of problems start when people are young. And, and when you're young, there's so many things that you can experience. You could be born from a terrible, um, that doesn't have family, that doesn't, you know, uphold family values. You, you could have a bad background. You could have bi- bipolar diseases, which is not even diagnosed. You could have personality disorders. You could be taller than everyone else, fatter than everyone else. You could be darker than everyone else. As a boy, you could find that your voice is squeakier than everyone else, so already you're labeled gay. And you could have autism. There's so many things that could make you different. But the problem is, when society chooses different, they don't want to make sure that they help people know that that difference is what we need. So when I was in high school, I I, I, I then thought of, of I, I also had someone who was very close to me who had ADHD and it hurt me because every single time everyone just wanted to pray it away and no one wanted to actually know how to actually live with the person with ADHD. And I started doing research from high school and then I opened an organization called Unforgettable Smiles, which aims on you know, putting children's rights up, out there and making sure that children are heard 
as perfect and as pure and as innocent as they are to prevent these things like depression later on, etc. Then on a second level is I'm a women's rights activist. And I think what really, really um, brought me into that is because when, like I told you, in 2016, I was sexually assaulted. And that for me was one of the most painful experiences ever. I was, I was, I was just, for me, it was, it was, how do I even put this? It was so painful because it was my first year in Pretoria. I was your very out loudly Christian girl. Like, so it didn't make sense why it could happen to someone like me. Not to say that sexual assault yeah. happened to certain people, but I didn't expect it. And for so many years, my silence was because I just felt like maybe I deserved it. Maybe it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was me. And I think so many people have that story where they question themselves. And I just have to say, guys, coercion is also sexual assault. And that has to be clear all the time. But then when 2018 came in, I realized that, you know, what, I didn't deserve what actually happened to me. And no one deserves that. And I realized I, I was telling a friend of mine what happened to me. And subsequently, she told me what happened to her. And I realized if I didn't make that platform to speak up, you don't always have to come and say like the specifics. You can just say, hey, this is what happened to me. And someone else can share. And all we do is listen to one another. And we can advise on, oh, this is how I got help. Oh, I started going to therapy. I started started going to church. I started doing this. We find out different mechanisms because when you're depressed, when you're alone, when you've been assaulted, when when you have been abused in your life, you think you're the only one. So it was very important for me to, to start something like that and to also speak up and not be afraid. We live in a South Africa where it could be you. Unfortunately, literally, it could literally be you. You could be walking down the street and you're next. We don't need. We don't you need could to, be in your own home. You could be in your own home. We don't need to know if it's the most beautiful girls that get raped or assaulted or whatever. We don't need to know if South African women are underpaid. I mean, that's the entire story of She Brigade. You were the only female in a white dominated, male dominated area. And Mm. so if I realize if we ourselves are put in positions where you know you have a story, you know you have something to say. If you keep quiet about it, you don't know the amount of lives that are attached to that. And then someone can look at it and say, yo, but why am I responsible? for other people if you look at it like that then you don't want to be a servant and you're not free to serve but if you know that your life has a purpose to change lives then you will know that this is how i can help people this is how i can speak up and i promise you once you start speaking up opportunities open you know these things shall be added unto you you'll find yourself going to the united nations and giving a speech on the democracy of south africa something that you would never do on a random day because already you are aligned something i posted one day i was like keep planting that seed those that are looking when the time comes they will have the blueprint they will know where to search. They will scroll down Faith Instagram. They would have seen her do whatever because the work is there. A lot of us are waiting. We're waiting to be an activist when SABC2 calls you and says, come and speak for Youth Day. We're waiting for that. That opportunity might not come. And so it's important for you to keep working. Whether it's seen or not, you know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I love, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, girl. I love that. So Faith, tell me with all the work that you do, where, what is your vision for Faith the activist, for Faith the doctor, but also what is your vision for Faith 
as an individual without the titles, like what is your vision for your, your personal life? Mm, that's such a beautiful question. I think firstly, and most importantly, is to remind myself that there's no difference in faith, faith the doctor, faith the activist, faith the girlfriend, faith the sister. There's absolutely, these are all, this is all intertwined and it's one faith. And it's important for me to really say that because all the time when I was in my my junior years, everyone made me feel like I'm doing too much. Everyone made me feel like, why didn't you just go to law? Why didn't you just be a radio act speaker? Why didn't you just go and work way, way, way and do that specific thing? So mm-hmm. it's important for me to realize that that's one faith and it's okay to be that one faith. It's okay for faith to be multifaceted. It's okay for faith if she feels she can handle it. And, and that's important because if I can handle it, that's okay. So my dream for faith, honestly, I think, and I'm, I'm going to get a bit emotional here, is that I truly hope that she will see that she's doing enough. Like we, when we started, I always told you that I, I always felt the need to perform the need to prove that, guys, I'm smart. I deserve to be here. I'm good. I'm friendly. I'm kind. Be my friend. Talk to me. Let's do this. So I really hope Faith will continue living in her adequacy to know that she's enough and what she's offering is enough. I hope the future Faith, you know, would, would live in that moment. And, 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 and what I see for her is, is, is empowerment, hey? And empowerment in all aspects. You know, if she's an activist and a doctor, that simply means she can simply be an NEC. She could be the president. She could be the president of the World Health Organization. Mm. You know, so if faith can continue to see the possibilities of what is and what can become, if only she commits to who she wants to be, then truly that will be everything. And more than anything, I truly hope that that faith in future will be full of peace, will be full of love and we'll never get tired of giving. Yeah, I that think is, that's, that's what I see. And I love that you said faith of the future because that's a perfect segue into um, my favorite part of the podcast. And that is when I get to ask this question, which comes from my favorite quote, that is, my favorite quote is, be who you needed when you were younger. So mm-hmm. now, that we've, now that we've spoken to faith of the future, I want to know from you if you could go back. I mean, you know, we can't change time. We can't go back and change time. But I believe that if there's something younger you would have needed to hear, needed to see, there's somebody out there today that needs that. So now that we've spoken to Faith of the Future, tell me if you could go back and talk to younger Faith, what would you say to her? Oh, I'm actually getting teary because this is something so personal to me and something that I'm still trying to overcome. One of the two things that I, I dislike, if I could use that term about myself, is I am very hard on myself and is that I don't forgive myself. Like once I make a mistake in life, that is, it becomes the determining factor of where I am. So I, I have moments where like, let's say, it's why I said it's important to speak into your day. It's important to have a good perspective because if you said your day is bad, everything will align to that day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever cried. Nee? When you're crying about something, let's say you cry, you're crying about let's say your boyfriend didn't talk well to you. Then Jiki Jiki thinking about, oh yeah, that's why on the 19th of May, he slapped me. That's why on the, the 2nd of June, he didn't give me his tinky. You know, you start correlating mm. things that don't exist, especially when you are at your lowest. And so the, the thing that I, I, I would tell young Faith is to stop being too hard on yourself. And being too hard on myself never came from a place of wanting to be better than everyone. 
but always want it from a place of accept me. Please accept me. Because I, I always felt like when I was in high school, I always felt like no one wanted to be my friend. Everyone thought I'm doing too much. And even in me, I started dimming my light because I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm doing too much. Oh, Faith, here we go again. Now you're doing Afrikaans Riedanas. Why? Who does that? You know? <laughs> and so it's to say, Faith, your light is enough. You know, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't judge yourself by a small mistake. And that comes into forgiving myself. You know, I have... I, I, the reason, one of the reasons why I would get depressed is because every single situation I would overanalyze. I would find the reason it's my fault because I always wanted to see the best in people. It could never be Jack or, or Peter or Sandra who hurt me. It was me. I obviously did something to make her feel that way. And so I would glorify them so much just so that I could be a, a, a Jesus Christ. I would sacrifice myself and lay down my life so everyone else would feel better about themselves. So for the old faith, I really would say that forgive yourself and forgive your mistakes and, and forgive wherever you went wrong. Every single bad day has created the woman you are today. And I'm not glorifying my pain or my struggle. I'm simply saying that every single pain that has happened has pushed me into my purpose today. The ability to speak today came from the years of insecurities of my voice. I speak too much, I'm doing too much. The ability to, to possess a room today come, came from the uncertainty of speaking in a class of 40 people, would they clap for me? The ability mm -hmm. to be in medicine today came from the insecurity of, am I even smart? Let me work hard. So what I'm trying to remind old faith is that you are enough. You, you don't have to overdo it. And not that you can ever overdo it, but what I mean mm -hmm. is I don't have to be everyone's cup of tea to prove that I'm an amazing person. Those that are meant to see that light will see it and they will be okay with it. And I think that's what I can tell everyone. I think too many of us, we are chasing likability. I think too many of us, we want to be that girl that's approachable, that girl that you can talk to all the time, that girl you mm -hmm. can do whatever. But the reality is we live with people that are, that want to, misunderstand you all the time they're determined they don't care you could have she brigade and it's changing lives and someone could say ah oh, she thinks she's all that and so if you're going to focus on the person who said she thinks she's all that you're going to start questioning yourself and dimming your light but if you continuously seeing the light and reminding yourself where you're going and reminding yourself comes in different platforms like the people you talk to the people but the beliefs you have for yourself, are you seeing your future? I love what you said when you asked me about what does future faith see? It's an important question. When I started this, when I started my answers, I even told you that it's important to go back to where you come from mm. because you remember how hard you worked to get where you are today. You remember the struggles. You remember everything that wasn't easy because that's just life. I think, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you a sweet story of how growing up was so easy. The reality is the hard days and the good days have made me and will continue to make me. So for the younger faith, I would, just to summarize it, for the younger faith, I would honestly say that believe that you are enough. Believe that God created you to be enough. Believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. And it's not even an insult to say in your own way. It's, it's, it's beautiful and glorious to know that you are beautiful in your own way. And more than anything, you were called for such a time as this. Because I always used to question my calling and my relevance in a fast-moving world. So for the young faith, you are anointed for everything that you are doing. Mm, you are enough.
Absolutely, you are, you are enough. And we have to remind ourselves that we are enough because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to lie, you know, we, we people are doing great things. Life is, is moving fast. And sometimes when the light is not shining on your end, you feel like there's something wrong with you. Mm. Maybe I didn't get the job because I talked too much. Maybe I didn't get married because my ex-boyfriend said, um, I'm a what, what I, I, I have ugly head. And that's why men never want to talk to me. Maybe I'm, I'm not this because I have a bad background. My father didn't give me 5,000 rand. And so you try and find conclusions as to why you're not enough. But even the thing you hate about yourself is exactly what makes you enough. That that worst thing, that little pimple you hate, it's exactly the it's the finishing piece of your puzzle. Yeah, that is perfect. I don't wanna add anything. I feel like I will take away from that beautiful message. Faith, this has been amazing. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you, follow your journey, or just follow your work? All right. So um, last year I started getting a bit more active on social media. So what I do now is that I have a platform where I give motivational talks. I, I know whenever someone says they're a motivational speaker, in my mind, I'm just like, oh my goodness, here we go again. <laughs> what are you going to tell me now? How bad do you want it? Want it bad as you want to breathe? And no, it's not that. So my my content is simple and related. It reminds you of who you are. It reminds you of your power, your purpose, your reasoning. It, it talks about general things that we don't want to talk about. Things like why we hate people by just seeing them. I don't know, but you know how sometimes as a girl, you can just look at someone by the way they walk and you're just like, yeah, this is all that. <laughs> and these are things no one wants to talk about them. So it talks about the most basic things that we think people know. Like, for example, how people always love giving advice. I could post the picture and someone says, oh, Faith, you should use um, bio oil for your cellulite. No one even asked you. No one asked you and you're already there. So my platform talks about the basic things that no one has addressed yet. And I feel like it's important. And you get your medical content and your life content. Most importantly, my journey with God, because I know we don't talk about it, but my journey with God is not an easy one as well. Being a pastor's kid, you know, um, and then mm-hmm. being in high school, trying to prove that you're also cool and then getting back into the deep devotion, being assaulted and then trying to find your feedback into purpose. You know, so you find that you find the reels. I don't just post happy faith, living life faith. I post the days where I feel insecure, not to prove that I am relatable, but just to remind you that it's okay to feel like that. And we all feel like that. So you can find me you're on Instagram. You're, my, not you're not alone. You're not. And, and that's the most important thing. The moment you think you're the only one drowning, just remember even Beyonce, wherever she is, she has a problem that's fit for her journey. Everyone has problems. So now don't focus on that. To say everyone has problems is not even to comfort you to sit and say, ah, we're all suffering. It's not to say that. It's just to say, hey, you're not alone. And if Beyonce is picking up herself and Faith is doing this and whoever is doing whatever, then you can do it too. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Faith underscore Victorious. Um, my Twitter handle is at Faith Makwele. Um, I'm not as active on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel called Millennial X. We interview young South Africans that are also doing amazing things. So you can find Millennial X on YouTube and on Instagram. My um, organization is called Unforgettable underscore Smiles. Um, You can find more of the works of charity that I do there. And yeah, 
catch up with me on social media or if you see me please if you see me please just come and say hi i think it's the most awkward thing when someone sees you and they just <laughs> look at you dead in the eye and then they text you oh my god i saw you but i was so shy please don't be shy let's greet each other you know we're social media friends let's greet each other and yeah that's how you can find me Ah, Faith, this has been amazing. You have been so open and honest and transparent with your journey. Thank you so much for that. I know that it's not always easy, but thank you so much for your generosity with your story today. Thank you for having me. I know that we have been telling this for so long, but thank you yeah. for the work that you do. And thank you for sharing your story as well. Um, sharing your story is never the easiest thing. And I think it's what made me ease into telling my story as well. So thank you for having me. And I really hope you will continue to grow. And this platform will also grow because you are really, really doing an amazing job. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much, babe. Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.